It's Friday the 9th of April 2021 and this is episode 13 of Red Zone Restricted. Today we'll cover two of the big talking points arising from the 3-1 loss at Real, namely Naby Keita's future and Jurgen Klopp's decision making. We'll also ask if Andrew Robertson's lucky to be escaping criticism before we look ahead to tomorrow's game against Aston Villa. Joined as usual by my co-host Dan Club. Dan, we've had two matches since the last podcast. Obviously, the high of Arsenal, really, and then the and then the low of Real Madrid. How are you? How are you feeling about football things at the moment? Um, yeah, not as not as good as I was obviously Monday following Arsenal, but I'm still okay with it. Obviously, we're going to dig deeper into the Real Madrid result uh, shortly, but. You know me, I'm always pretty positive um, and I remain that way. I, there is definitely a numbness to football, as we've all discussed you know, numerous times, and the, the wins don't feel as great and the losses don't feel as damaging. So, you know, and generally I'm doing okay, to be honest, yeah. And our guest today is Callum Sanderson. Same question to you, Callum, really. Um, how have your emotions sort of fluctuated over, over the past week um, after those two results? Yeah, I think the Arsenal game, I was exhilarated over because I've got a lot of friends who are Arsenal fans and they give me stick throughout the whole season, which is, it never makes sense because we're always above them. Um, so beating them was extra sweet and it kind of built me up for the for the Real Madrid game and I, I actually thought we were going to beat Real Madrid 3-1. So with all the absentees they had, the, the fact that we were coming off a good little run of results, I thought we'd really take the game to them and... Um, really just stamp our authority on the game. So I think for me, it was a really high going into the game and then just a capitulation. And it, it that was a difficult result for me to take. And it's it's thrown a lot of doubts in my mind again about what this current crop of players can do for the rest of the season. Yeah, I fully agree with that, really. Uh, it feels like we were on sort of a mini revival, but it's uh, been somewhat flattened by by that result. Anyway, we'll we'll move on to our usual three-word match reviews um, a few days after Real now, but we'll just discuss really our, our main takeaways for a few minutes. Um, Dan, we'll start with you. What have you gone with? Yeah, I've gone with Real Madrid terror um, just because, like Callum touched upon really, we were all on a bit of a high after Arsenal um, and we all, I, I was in a similar boat. I thought we'd go there and beat them, to be honest with you. I thought things would turn in our favour Um and similarly to the final in Kiev, it just seemed to all capitulate in front of our eyes. Like everything we'd seen had been so good, you know, obviously without the, the glaring errors, even though there were mistakes, it just, it brought home some really horrible memories from that night. Um, and it almost looked as if from a playing perspective, you know, they still had bad memories. We all in the build-up to the game envisaged Liverpool coming out all guns blaring to like avenge what had happened. And for the first 45 minutes, it looked like we were, I don't want to say starstruck by Real Madrid, but still a bit in awe of them, I suppose. And just, we just couldn't string two passes together. So, yeah, I've gone with Real Madrid terror because it looked like we had a little bit of that, certainly for the first half. The Kiev vibes were definitely strong, I think, from that game. Same question to you, Callum. Um, what three-word review have you gone with? 
so I've gone with lackluster, um, scared. I think the boys literally look scared out there. Um, I can't remember the last time I've seen Liverpool step out on a full pitch. And even though we haven't been playing well, but genuinely look scared of the opposition. And that's how it seemed when we played them. And then the third one I've gone for is deja vu. It just feels as though whenever we get a good run of momentum going, there's always something around the corner that kind of brings us down. And um, this was that come down, but it was a really horrible come down with this one because our, our, our season was kind of relying on this result. And I think if had we, obviously we can still get through, I'm not saying we can't, but had we have taken a good result out of this game, I think it would have been a massive lift for the rest of the season. And you're not looking to Henderson to rush him back. You're obviously not looking at Virgil to rush him back, whereas now you're sort of looking at him thinking, we may have to rush him back just to get something out of this season. And this season, really, I think the the mental strength of our players or the, the fortitude of our players that we've become so used to has they've not really, you know, delivered in that respect. And maybe maybe scared is the right word. Um in terms of my review, I've gone with hype fizzles out and I'm just kind of echoing really uh a lot of the things Dan said about you know, pre-match confidence and excitement. I made Liverpool probably favourites to win the game off the back of the, certainly off the Varane COVID news. Um, I think it was probably level pegging after after Ramos and then we probably should have had the edge. Um, so, yeah, I expected us to fly out of the blocks because of the momentum from Arsenal and, and the occasion that it was. Uh, the first half, we were obviously incredibly poor. Second half, OK, but not great. Um, and yeah, Real thoroughly deserved to win the game. They were excellent and pretty much outdid us in every single department. So I think my overriding emotion is just disappointment, really. You know, those games that have come off and I've been in disbelief or I've been I've been angry. But yeah, I'm just um, really disappointed that I didn't live up to the, the image I had of it in my head. So what are our thoughts then? Do we think Liverpool have got a realistic chance of progressing um, at this point, Dan? I do. Um, obviously, we have to factor in, you know, people are going on about the Anfield comeback factor, but that doesn't really exist, as we well know now. Um, we're going to have to turn around our Anfield fortunes, that's for sure. But at the same time, you know, for the, for all the reasons that I thought we'd beat Real Madrid this week, still exist, even though they were much better than we were. Like, we can feasibly beat them 2-0 at Anfield, and we can feasibly beat them 3-1 at Anfield, and obviously that takes the tie a little bit deeper, so... Listen, after what I watched the other night, the chances are we, we don't go through because we were incredibly poor and I was really impressed by them. But yeah, you know, we're still in the tie. You know, we could have been out of that tie the other night. You know, if we had got beat 3-0, 4-0, I wouldn't have been surprised. So 3-1 on, on the face of it isn't a bad result for us. Well, I'm less optimistic than that, um, which I think will, will kind of set Callum up for something of a, of a verdict, really. But... You know, as you say, Dan, it's like the Anfield factor isn't going to be there. So it's pr- pretty much all about performance instead of that sort of atmosphere and element weighing into it. I think, you know, say the 2-0 win takes us through doesn't sound too difficult on paper, but Real defended very well the other night, even with those reserve centre-backs in. And if they don't give us the space in behind them, um, you're really unsure if we can even get those two goals. And then there's obviously keeping a clean sheet, which is a whole different kettle of fish, really. Like, 
we're going to have to take risks in terms of numbers we commit forward. And you saw how well they exploited our defensive weaknesses uh, the other night. And, you know, particularly Phillips and Trent, I'd say, were, were getting exploited. So I'm not optimistic and I don't really see us going through. Having said that, I think we there's no way we'll play that badly in the second leg. Um, so if we pull a performance out, then who knows what will happen. But Callum, uh, would you say you're closer to, to Dan or, or myself in terms of your, your view of the tie? Um, I think I'm in the middle, but maybe slightly closer to you. Um, I don't see us going through now, if I'm going to be honest. 2-0 is a is a very, very achievable result, especially when you look at some of the comebacks we've, we've done in the Champions League over the years. However, given how we're playing, given how strong Real Madrid can be defensively, I, th- I think it's a real, real uphill battle. And then it's the the margin for error is so small now. And it was when we played Barcelona, but when we played Barcelona, we had Matip, we had Virgil in the peak of their powers. We had Alisson in the peak of his powers. And I think we had the the unknown with Shakiri and Origi playing that night as opposed to um, Salah and Firmino, which just completely threw Barca off as well. I think this time around, I think I don't think we'll lose on the night, but I don't see us one keeping a clean sheet and two outscoring Madrid enough for us to go through, which is a shame. But I just I can't see it happening. I I hope to God I'm wrong. I just I just don't see it happening. Same for me. Yeah, just hope. Not really any any ounce of expectation, to be honest. But we'll move into the the main via the discussion really and probably the number one talking point that arose from from Tuesday night and it's obviously Naby Keita being substituted off after 42 minutes um, now I'm not sure how significant this stat is and I'm also not sure if it's true but I'll throw it in anyway um, I, I believe that Keita is the first player to be subbed off by Klopp before half time since Lovren at Wembley um, back in would have been 2017, I think. Obviously, that's kind of an infamous horror show. Um, this wasn't on that level, um, I think it's fair to say, but how much, Dan, do you think Keita did actually struggle in that first half? Yeah, I was going to touch on the love of him one myself. You're right to bring it up. Um, it was pretty damning, I thought, that he brought him off, um, I'd say, to begin with. But I don't think he struggled much more than, than the other midfielders, you like some now. I think it was all very similar. Um, I just think Klopp expected a hell of a lot more from him, as did I. I think when I seen the lineup, I was okay with him being picked, even though it was from left field a little bit. I thought he'd been fit for a few weeks, and we haven't really seen him, so he's obviously been waiting for this Real Madrid game. That's what it looked like. And you thought high energy, you know, pressing there, very good, but kind of aging midfield. It just never happened. Like the ball didn't stick with him. His passes were off, and there was no intensity whatsoever so even though it was pretty brutal dragging him I thought it was fair enough even though like I said it could have been pretty much any of them if we're, if we're honest um, probably only Kabak come out of that whole whole match and, and certainly first half with anything to show I'd say but yeah I thought ultimately it was pretty pretty damning to drag Kato at that stage and I think it said a lot for where Klopp's at with him and potentially where the club's at with him so you know, we'll, we'll dig into it a little bit more, I'm sure. But just on the face of it, 
I think it was harsh, but I think it was probably fair enough on, on Tuesday. For it to be the 42nd minute, you know, three minutes before half time, you know, you think, well, Klopp maybe could easily have waited. Maybe he should have waited to just to spare the player the embarrassment. But I think Klopp genuinely feared that we were going to go in 3 0 down because um, we only really showed signs of life in the final moments of the half, probably after Thiago came on. But Callum, as far as I'm concerned, the worst player in that first half was actually Wijnaldum. Would you agree with that? I'm so glad you said that because I was going to say that. I mean, the moment that first half that really stood out to me was he had the ball on the right-hand side, no pressure on him. And I think he was trying to play it inside to Fabinho. And he just, it was a 10-yard pass at tops and he didn't even make the pass. And I was just thinking, this is completely off. His pressing was off, his ball retention was off. And, and those are his, the two main parts of his game. I think regarding the Cater substitution, I thought it was a weird move. Um, I think had it, it's weird, weirdly to say this, but had it happened in the 30th minute as opposed to the 42nd, I don't think we would have spoken about it or, or highlighted it as much. To, to hook someone off at 42 minutes when there's three to five minutes left of the half, that, that's really damning. And that, for me, that kind of put a nail in, in Kate's coffin for his Liverpool career. And I think he was a victim of Wijnaldum's sort of credit in the bank and the fact that Wijnaldum has got a big game in him and big moments in him. But in my opinion, Wijnaldum actually played worse than Kater. But I think the frustration maybe for Klopp and for us as fans with Kater is we expected him to be the driving force from that midfield. And Klopp even alluded to it before the game. He said, we might need a dribbler in this game. And that's the reason why Kater played. I mean, Thiago's a better pass or better ball retention, a better overall player than Kater. But when it comes to dribbling from midfield, Kater is the best player we have for that. And he didn't do any of that whatsoever. He looked off the pace. He looked sluggish and... I think he should have been pulled off at half time. I think it would have caused less controversy, but it was always going to be either him or Genie coming off. And I think Genie gives you a bit more stability in midfield. So I think that's why Kate was sacrificed. I think you made some very good points there. And really, I don't need to add anything on Kate's actual performance um, because both of you have, have sort of ticked all the boxes, really. Um, but in terms of Kate's future now, obviously, we can't deny that bringing a player off before half time on an occasion like this and with the opportunity that he was given is pretty damning. Uh, Dan, do you think this is sort of maybe the first nail in the coffin for Casey's Liverpool career? Yeah, I do, to be honest with you. I was quite, um, I was pretty much in the camp previously, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago on here, um, of keeping him. And thinking there's a player in there, you know, we spent a lot of money on him, we spent a lot of time on him now. And I was kind of thinking they weren't going to turn the back on him. But the other night was so, um, so telling, I thought, for his Liverpool career. Um, I, I can see, obviously, there has to be the interest and there has to be the offers coming in in the summer. You know, we're not going to sell him for probably less than sort of like, I don't know, 20 million, you won the fourth. But should there be the interest and should there be the offer? I think we call time on it this summer, to be honest, which it'll be a shame because, you know, we've spoke before about how, you know, how much expectancy there was around his career, um, similar to the other night, really. Um, 
and then it hasn't quite worked for him. And that kind of, we kind of watched that in front of our very eyes on Tuesday, didn't we? Like, all expecting big things, and it just unraveled in front of our eyes. So, yeah, I think if the if the money comes in in the summer and the interest is there, I think I think it's time to probably sell now, which has changed in my opinion. We could easily have come off Tuesday thinking if you know Cater had delivered a, a really good performance. Obviously, the team struggled as a whole, so you can't maybe put too much blame on him. But say he does come out of that with a seven or eight out of ten. You know, we could easily be on here now raving about him saying, you know, he's reviving his Liverpool career, but it's gone massively in the opposite direction. Callum, what what feeling do you sort of get? Do you think that cases say might not go beyond this summer? Yeah, so I agree with Dan. I mean, this season I've always said that I think out of him and Ox, I think Ox is the one that has to move on out of the two. And the reason I said that is because I, I do think Klopp really does like the 4-2-3-1. I think Cater is built for a double pivot. Um, and I think having Henderson, Thiago, Fabinho, Cater, Milner and Jones for those double pivot positions, I think gives us enough. Whereas I don't think Ox would have been able to fill in the double pivot positions, nor do I think he's good enough as a 10. However, after seeing that, after just knowing that he's not achieved anything at Liverpool since he's been here and he joined in 2018, we now, in my opinion, will have to cash in on him or it just will be a transfer that comes back to buy us. I think he's going into the last two years of his contract. We can't give him an extension. It just simply can't happen because he hasn't earned it. And if we don't sell him now, then he's going into the last year of his contract, which is even worse because we'll get less money for him. I think me personally cashing on him now and you, you try and get someone younger, someone like a Camavinga who's going to the last year of his contract and try and hopefully mould that player to become similar to what Cater could have been. And then you try and build a squad again. And it's unfortunate because he came in with such great hype and you look at the performances he was putting in for Leipzig, he, he was the player that was meant to take our midfield to the next sort of, evolution and he just unfortunately hasn't done it through injuries and and inconsistent performances and just to quickly follow up on that um obviously you make the very important point about his contract situation so are you saying that if you were liverpool you'd actively look to sell him this summer as opposed to just listening to offers i i would yeah um i'm a i'm a big kia fan i do like kia um, but yes, I think sometimes you have to just do it. And and again, I don't think he's a rubbish player. I just He's one of those players who I can imagine going somewhere else and having a really good career. I just don't think it's going to work out for him here. In the same way it was like for Harry Kuehl back in the day. Fantastic player, came to Liverpool, didn't work out. And it's just one of those things. Sometimes it's just not meant to be. Maybe, maybe that's the case. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still not sure whether what our specific stance will be, but, you know, I, I do I do root for Cater. Um, and I think that that's because he's a very enjoyable player to watch because he probably still feels like a new signing in some ways because of the injuries that he suffered and the kind of limited glimpses that we've had. And also because everyone's, you know, outside of the club has sort of dismissed him as a flop. Um, so you've kind of got that extra sort of, incentive really um and the strange thing is i think when he's played he's mostly put in seven out of ten performances but 
if you looked at the move as a whole, there was absolutely no way you could say it was a success, even on the back of that. And, you know, obviously potentially decisive moments on Tuesday night. But let's let's talk about the man who selected him. Um, obviously, Klopp's coming for a lot of criticism uh, off the back of this, really. Um, removing Thiago from the midfield off the back of Thiago's probably strongest run of form yet. Um, but rather than dwelling maybe on that particular decision, I wanted to get your thoughts on how we think Klopp has performed himself this season and what kind of level he's been operating at as a manager. I'll, I'll come to you first on this one, Dan. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. It's It's similar to what we touched upon a few weeks ago in terms of like, does he get a free pass? I suppose the same question still applies. Um, we're a few weeks further down the line. I think there's no doubt some of his decision-making has left a lot to be desired. I'd probably point to keeping Fabinho in, in central defence, uh, probably for longer than he should have. Once we'd brought in centre-backs, I think he, he waited a little bit too long. Um, and we all got by because Fabinho was, was brilliant as centre-half, but we were kind of crying out for him to go back into midfield a long time before it happened. So I think maybe that took a little while. Um, other than that, you know, there's been question marks probably around the Jota thing and Firmino is probably the biggest one. Um, and I think he's handled that pretty well, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, it's difficult to criticise him because of all the things, you know, we're all well-versed in in terms of injuries and, you know, that sort of stuff. And obviously personal things that have gone on with him, like, he still gets a free pass in my eyes. But there's no doubt there's question marks in terms of some decisions. But generally, I think he's handled everything pretty well. I think he's took the pressure off his players a lot and kind of took the burden on himself, which is what good managers do, in my opinion. Um, the only one I would probably would hark back to would be the Fabinho decision. I think it took him too long um, to get that right. Uh, but aside from that, and as for Tuesday night... I think his rationale behind playing Cater was there for all to see. I think nobody, you know, other than genuine Cater haters, which there probably are out there, nobody really doubted his selection there. I think we all thought, yeah, Cater's energy, you know, hassling their midfield. You know, he came out and said he's been brilliant in training. So we all got that. Obviously, it backfired. But, you know, in terms of decisions, I think he's got everything spot on, apart from waiting a bit too long for Fabinho, I'd say. And that's a good point you make in that I think if you sort of look on looked on Twitter in the, in the wake of the the team news, you had quite a lot of excitement about Kater and there was a lot of people sort of nodding along when Klopp sort of spoke in his pre-match interview about why he selected them. Um, but then obviously at the end of the game when it backfires, it's like just this you know storm of criticism and maybe maybe that's fair enough. I'm, I'm not sure. The the Fabinho point is obviously a valid one. Um, I think it did seem like a significant risk um, at the time to, you know, move him back into midfield and go with that centre-back partnership. I think probably aside from the other night, um, the two of them have done pretty well and that's maybe made you second-guess it a little bit. But I think, you know, without the benefit of hindsight, I'm probably, you know, I've probably got a bit of sympathy for the delay there. But um, I'll let you... Uh, give your thoughts on this, Callum. Do you think Klopp, obviously Klopp's a world-class manager, but do you think he's sort of merely been operating at the level of of good manager this season? Yeah, I th- I think so. <clears throat> so 
me personally, I've, I've made I've never made a secret of this. As as good as I think Guardiola is, I think Klopp is the best manager in world football. Um, but this season, I think I think he's been a bit rattled. I think nothing's gone his way, but at the same time, I think he's culminated some of the issues because of his decision making at times. Um, I think the first sort of signs of bad decision making was the Aston Villa 7-2 we just didn't stop playing the high line even though they kept on getting in behind like that game could have ended 10-3 or or 11-3 like we were fortunate that it was only 7-2 when you look back at that game then I think he started to adapt a bit better and again the, the next game that really sort of threw the cat amongst the pigeons was the the second Midtjylland game where we went into it with a free hit. He'd been moaning about not being able to use as many substitutes and the fixture schedule and the fact that we were playing on a Wednesday night and then a Saturday morning and then decided to go with a strong lineup. I remember Jota playing 80-odd minutes before coming off injured. Salah, was, Salah played the whole game, which was like 98 minutes. Mane came on, Firmino came on, Henderson came on. And while I don't believe in disrespecting any competition, in a compact season like this, I think you have to look at yourself first as opposed to how you look to the outside world. And for me, I would have played fringe players and players who are in our academy in that game. I think we could have easily gone into that game, played those players, and you never know what could have come out of it. We could have ended up losing badly, but at least those players now would have got some minutes under their belt and the experience of playing for Liverpool in the Champions League. And then it was the sort of, after the Palace game, you're thinking, yeah, we're actually going to retain this league. And then after that, it just went downhill, went downhill really quickly. Um, I think losing Matip, um, I think it was the West Brom game where we drew 1-1 and then we went on the run that we're on at the moment of six back-to-back home defeats. And you just look at those games, you think there was no change of formation. Apart from the Burnley game where we started Origi, there was no change of person personnel. Playing Fabinho, as, as you both said, was, for me, the, the worst decision, especially when you see what he brings to the midfield. And again, this, is on, this is, isn't on Klopp, but just our handling of the whole centre-back situation from the moment Gomez got injured right up until the last day of the January transfer window. I think those have been the undoing of Klopp this season. But the reason I remain optimistic with Klopp in charge is, dare I say, touch wood, I don't think we'll have a season of this much bad luck ever again. Yeah, there's obviously major mitigating circumstances. And if you were looking at really the the blame, where you're laying the blame for how the season's gone, it's probably not going to be more than 10% Klopp. I'd say that'd be the maximum, really. And, um, you know, I think the the big thing you point to there is probably the, the Michelin game because... Obviously, we've seen now that Jota's come back how important he is, and the fact you know the fact of the matter is we've got two attackers in you know top form, you know operating at a world class level, and then two attackers who are woefully out of form this season, and um, we know how much in, given our goal drought we missed we missed Jota. The last thing I want to talk about before we move on to our Aston Villa preview is a player who. You could argue has been escaping some criticism recently. Um, it's Andrew Robertson. So I had a look at some of the uh, statistics. I think the main one is that he hasn't had an assist since the 7-0 win at, at Crystal Palace. And obviously, given the rate he was delivering them at, um, 
over the last couple of years, that's a pretty shocking one. Um, maybe it's slightly harsh to judge a fullback on that alone. I mean, if you look at his chances created per game, he's creating 1.5 per game this season. That's only down 0.2 on last season. Um, whether that's just been boosted by it, what was a very good start to the season and it's now declining, I'm not sure. But that's kind of a, a balanced picture of it, really. Um, so do you think, Dan, that it's fair to say that Robertson is maybe not getting the the scrutiny and the criticism he deserves for some of his recent performances? I would say that, yeah. But I think, you know, most Liverpool fans would kind of give him and a lot of others that, that free pass again, if you like, based on the season we've had, like for all the reasons Callum just touched upon really, um, you know, all the mitigating circumstances. And I think Robertson in particular has has got probably more mitigating circumstances than most, simply because he's played so much football. Like, it's really... Obviously, he went away in international duty recently, and, and while some others had a bit of a break, you know, he's Scotland captain. So, you know, I, I don't know, but I imagine he played pretty much every minute for them. So his level of football in terms of how much he's played this season has just been ridiculous. Like, obviously, we brought Tamikas in to, to give him a break, um, and mainly due to injury that hasn't happened, you know. And I think the Milner at left-back experiment's kind of, kind of gone. But I think Klopp's brought Robertson off a couple of times recently, you know, a bit later into matches. And I mean, that's been pretty telling in terms of Klopp knows how much Robertson probably needs a rest. He just hasn't been able to give him one from the start. And, you know, there's no doubt about it. Like, you know, we can go on, I can go on about him needing rest and needing, you know, a break as much as I like. But his performances haven't been good enough. Um, and I think that's, it's interesting that his chances created are very similar. Because it'd be interesting to see, you know, how clear cut some of them chances were and whether, like, our oh, misfiring front two, as like in particular, haven't been converting chances. So his stats could be a lot better potentially. But I want to throw Manny into the mix as well, because obviously they play on the same side and, and neither of them have been performing at a level. So I wonder if it's kind of capitulated and both of them being off the mark. Like, you know, they linked up so well for the past two seasons, you know, that, that link up matter just fell fell through entirely and it might be reflecting badly on them both. So I think as a collective on that side, it's been below the level we've come to expect. Um, but you know, Robertson individually, there's no doubt he's been he's been off the boil. Um, but again, he's just probably he's probably knackered. <laughs> you know, I think him and Mane need a break more than anyone else in this whole squad. So I, I don't like criticizing them for that reason. But you know, and I think a lot of Liverpool fans are the same. But like I say, his levels definitely dropped. Yeah, there's no denying the the importance of the of the fatigue points and thinking about it, I should have come armed with the expected assists per 90 stats. Uh, that's an error on my part. Um, but yeah, what do you reckon on, on this one, Callum? Um, I may be accused of being biased there because Robbo is one of my favourite players, but um, I, I don't think he's been as poor as has been made out. He's definitely not hit the heights that he's hit in previous seasons, but I think those heights were stupidly high in comparison to other left-backs in world football. I think this season he's suffered because he's not had a break, um, which you both alluded to. I think we were screaming out for another left-back to come in and deputise for Robbo, and we, we actually went out and did it as a club. We got Simicast in, but Simicast has had a horrid time with COVID and injuries, etc. So even then, we've not been able to rest Robbo. I think the... 
the lack of assist this season, I don't actually blame on Robbo. I actually blame on our forwards. Our forwards have been woeful this season, apart from Jota and Salah, but obviously Jota's missed a large portion of the season. Mane and Firmino have missed bags and bags of chances. Even though Salah's a top goal scorer, he's missed a few chances that you sort of look back on and think you should have buried that. I think when it comes to an assist, there's only so much you can do. I'm not saying Robbo's putting them on a plate and they're missing from five, six yards out every time, but the chance I think he's creating on the whole are probably good enough to score at least five out of six of the chances. So I think the the assist stats may look worse than they actually are. I think his defending still been really good. Um, his crossing hasn't been as consistent as it has been over previous seasons. There are times he gets the ball and he'll go straight to goalkeeper or go out for a, for a goal kick. That That's unlike him. But I, I have no worries for Robbo at this point because I, I do think it's just a weird season. Plus, I don't think he's been as adventurous this season because of the Mane form, but also the lack of centre-back cohesion as well. He's probably been told not to go as far forward as often because you're leaving two centre-backs who either aren't of the highest of quality or two players in centre-back who shouldn't even be centre-back. Isolated if you go too high up the pitch and you get caught out of possession. So... I think there's a few circumstances that go into this, but I, I do agree. I don't think he's hit the heights that he has previously. The centre-back thing is definitely another important factor within within all of this. And yeah, really, I can only echo what, what you've said, and especially in terms of the, the fact that defensively, I think he's actually been okay. Um, and in, with Simicast, I think it's just become this case of the longer we go without playing him, it's almost the more difficult it becomes to actually chuck him into the team um, because, you know, you don't want to really throw him in that cold. And I think we've probably missed opportunities to give him a game earlier in the season. But I think it's also worth noting that up to that Palace game, I think Robertson was actually one of our standout performers within the squad um, and probably within the top four players of the season, I'd say, up to that point. Um, and since then I don't think he's really had a spell where he's got above a, a 6 out of 10 consistently um, and in a more general sense you know there's not really been a period this season where both fullbacks have been on form at the same time and you wonder how costly that is but obviously as you mentioned Callum that could be quite significantly down to the, the centre-halves or even as, um, as Dan mentioned it could be down to sort of the link up play with, with Marnie not necessarily functioning. So for the final part of the podcast, we'll look ahead to the Aston Villa game tomorrow. Um, obviously, Liverpool now turning their attentions back to the the outside better four that they have. Uh, we'll begin, as we usually do, with our preferred lineups. Uh, Callum, I've come to, to Dan first on, on most of the questions today, so I'll, I'll give you the first, first crack at this one. What team would you go with? All right, so I think the back five picks it. Well, I say that. I hope it picks itself. Um, so I'd go with Trent, Kabak, Phillips and Robbo, uh, Ali in goal. Um, in midfield, I'd stick with Fabinho at the base. I'd go Thiago next to him and I'd play with Milner. I'd start with Milner. Um, only because I think he brings a bit of leadership to that team that we may have been lacking in that Real Madrid game. So I'd, I'd go with that in my midfield three. And then left, I'd go Jota. Through the middle, I'd go Firmino. And right, I'd go Salah. 
Okay, I think Milner is uh, is quite an interesting show, but having said that, you know, he, he played well. He played well against Arsenal last week, so I, I kind of understand the, the rationale behind that. And um, you know, there probably were moments in midfield where we looked like we did lack a little bit of leadership. Um, Dan, um, I do think the main area of contention in these selections is going to be midfield, so that's what I'm assuming anyway. What have you gone with? Well, interestingly enough... Um... I've actually gone with Tamikas um, for all the things we just outlined, really, on the Robertson chat. Um, I've gone for the same same back five, apart from I'm not playing Robertson. Um, I just think, you know, really, really good side this year. Let's, let's not take anything away from them. And it's not going to be an easy game. And it's a must-win game. I, I take all that into consideration. But we've bought this lad. You know, he's been fit for a little while now. Um, and Robertson needs a rest. So... So I am playing him. Um, I was tempted to go with Milner at left back, despite what I said earlier. But um, so I've gone, yeah, Allison, Trent, uh, Kabak, Phillips, and Tamikas at left back. And in midfield, I've also gone Milner um, for the same reasons Callum outlined. Really, um, I think leadership being the biggest one, and I think we've lacked that. You know, without Van Dijk, without Henson, etc. We we all know that. Um, and for me, Wayne Alden the other night even though he's fourth choice captain is voted by the squad. Um, that's not for me, to be honest with you. Um, so yeah, I've gone Milner, uh, Thiago and Fabinho. I think, you know, had Cato not been so poor the other night, this is a good game for him. I'd like to see him start, but given what happened, I, I can't see that happening. Um, and I've gone for the same front three. I've given Manny a rest as well. Um, for all the same reasons I said about Robertson, I think the two of them really need some time um, away from and, and listen, Real Madrid's arguably bigger uh, on on Wednesday night, so I think a fresher Robertson and Manny might give us that impetus that we need. So I have gone for a couple of changes um, and a couple of potentially left left field selections. Um, and Jot has got to start, uh, and I think yeah, I just think the two of them, Manny and Robertson, just need that extra bit of rest in them. That's obviously a pretty big call. Um... With Simakas left field in more ways than one, I'd say. Whether, again, as I say, as I said before, whether Klopp would want to throw him in um, like that, I'm I'm not really sure. Um, equally, you know, famous last words here. Uh, might have to edit this bit out, but if he's coming up against you know someone like um, a Trezeguet or a Bertrand Traore, I think you know that's probably a, a duel that he can hold his own in. Um, so we'll see. I think if Klopp was to make a selection like that, it would certainly point towards him retaining a lot of faith that we can get the job done against Real Madrid. My midfield selection, um, I've gone with the same front line, uh, but my midfield selection is uh, Fabinho, Thiago and Jones that, uh, that I've gone with, purely because you know I think you want a little bit more guile in the, in the attacking sense than Milner can provide. Um, I think Villa's def- defence has been you know, they've pretty much all been excellent the whole back five this season. So um you you are gonna need to probably unlock unlock a defence that will sit relatively deep. Um so I'd be I'd be going for Jones. And I think also a, a crucial thing in the game, as in every game at the moment, is making sure we have enough pressure on the ball to stop those long passes in behind us. Um and I think Jones has been more and more disciplined this season. And I think he'll be he'll be chomping at the bit as well. Um, so I'd hope that his his pressing game was was really diligent, um, 
if he was played. Um, and yeah, Mane, we could easily have we could easily have spoken about Mane for 20 minutes in this episode. Um, we didn't because we talked about his poor form um, not too long ago. But yeah, there's no doubt he's he's a shadow of his, of his former self at the moment. Um, and yeah, could probably not only could probably do with the rest, but probably doesn't necessarily deserve to start um, at the moment. It is the reality. But so we had our had our preferred lineups now. Um, how do you think this one's going to go? What are we sort of predicting, um, Callum? What are your what are your impressions? Um, just just touching on what both of you said, I, I do like the Simicash shout and I do like the Jones shout. By the way, I think they're they're smart smart tactical moves. I just don't know if Klopp will do it. Um, in terms of how the game will go, uh, I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer, but I I don't see us winning the game. I think we'll stop. The, the sort of Anfield bleeding at the moment. I, I don't think we'll lose. I think we'll draw. I think we'll both score. I, I've gone for a 1-1 in the predictions I've done so far. I just, I th- I think we're a team that's up and down with confidence at the moment. And Villa are a really good team. They're a really, really good outfit this season. And I think when you look at someone like Martinez and you look at how poor our finishing has been, I, j- I don't see us being able to just continually score goals so and I do think we'll concede because I think they're they're good going forward as well. So I've gone for a one-one, but I think we'll have more of the chances and more of the line share possession. I've also gone with a draw. Um, you know, there's there's a blueprint to beat Liverpool at the moment, isn't there? And I think if you think back to to that game in October, um, Dean Smith pretty much found a way to pick holes in Liverpool to pretty devastating effect and. It's not too difficult to predict what kind of game plan um, Villa will approach it with. Um, probably trying to implement that that sort of blueprint again. Obviously, Grealish is um, a, a vital player for Villa. Um, you know, I think he's absolutely amazing. To be honest, um, he's been one of the best players in the Premier League this season. Uh, he had this, a setback in, in training last week. I think he was going to play against Fulham, but. They, they had to pull him out of training the day before. Um, I've not seen any indication yet that he'll be ready to start this game. We'll have Dean, Dean Smith will have a press conference later today, so there might be more on that. Um, obviously, there's, there's no denying that seeing the Villa lineup without Grealish starting or without him in the squad is would be a boost for us and would probably make us feel more confident. But I still, I still just can't coax myself into ex- expecting a win and yeah it's it's down to the fact that as I said before Villa's back five is has been excellent this season and I think even the players that they can draft in for Grealish you know the likes of El Ghazi, Trezeguet, Bertrand Traore they're not near his level but they're all decent players and they're probably going to get good chances in the game and obviously you've got Watkins up front as well who's been who's been really good this season. Um, so I think even without Grealish, if Villa are on form, they could they could get something from the game. And I won't feel remotely confident about any sort of top four bid until we get that win at Anfield. Um, and, and yeah, I don't necessarily think this is going to be the game that we get it. But thankfully, we have Dan here, who I can say with 95% certainty will have predicted a win. But <laughs> tell, tell us why you predicted a win. Yeah, I think we'll win 7-2. Uh, no, I'm joking. Um, yeah, I, I, 
listen, I get, I take on board everything you've said, both of you really, in terms of Villa being a very good side. I think the Grealish factor is massive. I think up until probably the last 10 minutes against Fulham last week, Villa have been a bit of a shell of the former selves, if you like, um, recently without him. I, I think he's such a loss to them. I still think there'd be a, a difficult test even without him, but... I do, we've got to win at Anfield, haven't we? You know, we've got to get that proverbial monkey off our back, certainly before before Real Madrid in midweek. Um, and as you rightly say, before the running, because if we're going to get top four, you know, we can't lose every home game between now and the end of the season because we simply won't get it. So yeah, I have I have gone for a 2 0 win um, with the caveat that I think it'd be very difficult. And I think we're a very good side, but I think we're a better side still. Um, and I think things have to click in together at some point at home. Um, so it's got to be this weekend, hasn't it? Like similar to what I said about Arsenal last week, you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna finish this season with anything to show for it, it has to happen now. And I'd say the same about this at Anfield because another loss or even a draw, you know, we're probably near enough waving goodbye to top four, and we can't really afford to drop points at this stage. So yeah, I think I think we win. I think we win two 0 um, with the acceptance that this is going to be a difficult game and they're a very good side. You know, you did predict a uh, a pretty resounding victory last week when I only said a draw, and you're right on that. And that's over. Yeah, with with the the Anfield points, I remember that um, Athletic, that big Athletic article about um, you know how Liverpool season had unravelled, and there was a sort of a source in the dressing room talking about how. The players just they're so they're like a rabbit in headlights when they're at Anfield now. Like there's just this psychological block. And overcoming that in any way, even with a win as ugly as the one we got at Wolves, you know, overcoming that would be would be a huge boost for us heading into these final few weeks of the season. Um so yeah, we'll see. We won't be back till uh, the end of next week when we'll know if Liverpool did get that win. And whether they managed to turn it around against Real Madrid. Um, but thanks to, to both of you for, for coming on uh, this week, Callum. Uh, we'll give you the customary opportunity that we give to all our guests uh, to plug any sort of content that, that you're working on and stuff that people can have a look at. A sure thing. So <clears throat> you can catch me over on um, Team Copish on YouTube. Um, sometimes you'll be able to catch me on the Football Terrace as well. Um, so yeah, just basically trying to represent Liverpool as best as possible. Um, just want to say a massive shout out to you guys as well. Really like what you guys are doing and thank you very, very much for inviting me on, being patient with me um, and getting me on the channel. So thank you very much and I hope you guys continue to grow from strength to strength. That's very kind of you, Callum, and it was uh, it was great to have you on and I'll transfer you that PayPal money at the end of the episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, before we go, um, any final thoughts from you, Dan? No, uh, yeah, like I say, really appreciate you coming on, Callum. Uh, top work, brilliant analysis, to be honest. Um, really next level. Um, some great points and stuff I didn't really consider before coming into this. So, yeah, top, top stuff, that. And, and just finally, um, before, we, before we leave it, uh, just an update on the Reds and Restricted International podcast. Um, I've been looking at the, list, the listeners. So we've had, I think we were talking about Lithuania, Finland, um, China last time. Now we've got um, Macedonia have made an appearance um, mm. and Turkey as well. So the, the Ozan Kabak fan club. The Ozan Kabak fan Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to trickle on to it. So 
the shout out continues for anyone who's who's listening in uh, a far a far distant land to get in touch with me on Twitter. But you can find all our Twitter links in the episode description. Um, that's going to be all for this week. We'll be back after, as I say, after those two Liverpool games, which will have quite a big bearing on our season. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.